Hello, and welcome to Sutra Sidewatch, episode 10. I'm your host, Kamran Shushtar, and with me is... Brandon from Apollo City Comics. This is the second May episode where we're covering George Lucas, and we are covering this week his second film, American Graffiti. And it is... I guess you could say it's night and day from... THX 1138. It's a little bit different uh, in the aspect that THX 1138 is a weird post-apocalyptic, dystopian, emotionless film. <laughs> this instead is a 60s period piece in which it's like set in Modesto, California, where everyone's cruising around in cars and going to burger joints and just trying to basically everyone's just kind of horny, I think. Just, yeah, it's filled with every emotion you could possibly think of on the spectrum. Like it's uh exactly night and day these two films and it's one right after another two-year separation uh a lot of struggle went into making the second film because warner brothers was really upset with george with thx 1138 because it wasn't like the film they really wanted him to make <laughs> and so they didn't really jump on board with american graffiti they weren't very excited for george to do another film uh, it took a lot of work for him to get it started. Um, I think three rewrites on the script, and then he had to call in other people to help work on the script because he couldn't just get uh, characters down. And you know, like we said last time, he even admits he's not a writer, and he yeah. does not want to write films. So this film took a while, but Universal finally budged, and they gave him a chance. But he had to have names attached to it. And he's like, I'm a, I'm just starting. How am I going to get names on it? But, I mean, he was friends with Francis Ford Coppola. And The Godfather had just come out. And having his name attached to him, he gave him a call. And they he said, yeah, let's do it. And he's really, we owe Coppola for, I think, all of George Lucas and Star Wars. Because I'm sure if this didn't happen, none of that would have happened, no matter how badly he wanted it. Yeah, they, they really do work together a lot uh, back then. Especially, like, I think lucas was one of the writers on apocalypse now oh wow and they really cross-pollinated a lot which is interesting like i said uh in the last episode they came from the same uh usc film class oh, that's right. uh, along with a, a few other handful of uh, filmmakers just like there was a rival group from ucla <laughs> which uh was like the not rich kids mm, yeah. um but this movie came two years after THX. THX was in 1971. This is 1973. Mm -hmm. So not much of a big difference. And this was four years before Star Wars came out as well. Yeah. It's and was there anything after this one before Star Wars? I, I hadn't checked. No. no it okay. was uh that was his next director uh directed movie, pretty oh, much. Okay. Uh and his last one, like it, he because he only really did three movies uh until the prequels. Oh, oh wow. Because he didn't direct uh empire and he didn't direct return yeah he just was he was producer and just like he worked with the story and whatnot um created by basically credits <laughs> i mean if you really look at it he only directed six movies uh it was really thx mm. american graffiti mm -hmm. star wars mm -hmm. and the three prequel movies and that's it that's all he ever directed oh, man. That's insane. yeah pretty crazy right yeah i mean because he had just such Maybe when you think of George like Lucas, you're like such a fat amount of different properties. But yes. yeah, it was uh, those are the only ones. And ironically, I mean, he does an OK job at directing like he mm -hmm. it's more like we've talked about it in the last episode. He has a very brilliant mind when it comes to creative ideas. Mm -hmm. But 
in terms of the execution and uh, second thoughts. That's where it's good to have others come in. It's just for him himself, like we saw with the prequels, like they had such potential. But if there were more, if there was more oversight, I think they would have been more a lot better products. Bucket, you know what I mean? Just yeah. To get Which usually we say that uh, I would. 99% of the time I say the opposite. This is mm-hmm. like the only time I always say like, you know, uh, not we don't need too many hands, just like one or two others yeah. just to really get in there. But To be like, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Especially looking idea. at like the, when I think of at least those six movies, I don't, we don't really look at the Star Wars sequels, but uh, the Empire Strikes Back and the Return of the Jedi, those are probably like the better of the nine. I would say personally. Oh, uh, yes, hundred percent. So, yeah, those those are like you could kind of tell then uh, how that was the perfect formula. Practically, you have Lucas creating all the ideas and bringing all of that world to life, and then you bring in like others like Lawrence Kasdan and stuff, and then they mm-hmm. come in and and make it happen. Like, yeah, that, that's really he's what worked. very much a visionary, a hundred percent. You know, um, and you see that in plenty of directors. I feel like. To an extent, Zack Snyder's the same way. Like, if he wasn't the one behind the helm, I'm sure some of these films would have been, like, super superb because the ideas are there. It's just the execution of those ideas. You know what I mean? That's what causes conflict and us not to, like, resonate as much with it. But it's one of those things. Some directors, like, have that story essence and they have the characters and they have, like, everything they know that should happen. But they're still for some reason just missing that skill or they get too consumed with it with their own vision and that's where they have to hand it off to be like this is the rules this is the bar- you know your barriers your yeah. your limits and just go with it like i want to see what you do with it and sometimes it works for the best and you know empire strikes back and return of the jedi perfect examples um and you know i mean going back to american graffiti this too was like we we spoke about THX 1138 being uh, the cinematic, uh, the cameraman and everything, they were documentary filmers. And this was essentially like a documentary of the time that George grew, uh, grew up in. That like yeah. late, the late 50s, kind of right before the like hippie movement and all this type of stuff where cruising was like life for everybody, for all these kids. Like the, the essence of cruising, the essence of just getting your car and driving around and all that stuff, that was like that was the thing to do back then, you know? Um, and it's so weird that, I mean, it's, uh, it seems so I mean, it's sitting in his hometown. Yeah, exactly. That too. Yeah. Um, and I mean, all the soundtracks too, those were all songs he selected. Uh, typically films have, uh, what, what do you call it? Uh, like a film supervisor of some sort where they choose the songs to be on the film and that didn't exist back then. So George kind of invented that role and put these songs in the film um, and he would direct with them. He would actually have all these like uh, 45s next to him and a record player when they were filming. And he would put on the songs that would like coincide with that scene. And he would write scenes to the music, not the other way around. So it was very much influenced about his upbringing because he was he wanted to be a mechanic at one point And he was very into cars. He wanted to be some sort of race car driver. Um, and so that it's just all of his childhood that we're seeing. It's a documentary of what he did as a kid and he even said uh kurt was the one that he was like most based off of uh out of all the characters and which makes perfect sense considering the fact that like when you watch the film 
he's like the only one that really wants to stay there Mm -hmm. whereas the rest are kind of stuck there and it's only him and uh what's ron howard's character i was just trying to think of that too i know i was gonna bring him up um uh uh, i could find it in a second steve steve they're the only two that are leaving for college because either the rest aren't they're either not old enough yet mm-hmm. or they are just not cut out for it. Yeah. And this is, you know, it's 1962. Not everyone is expected to go to college. It's not like the modern day now mm-hmm. where if you don't go, there's like all these different pressures and types of expectations. And it's actually kind of backwards at this point. But uh, there is a lot more there where college is a very big deal if you're going to go to college. Yes, And... You're also looking at it being set in Modesto, (laughs) which um, for those that, you know, George Lucas growing up in Modesto, I can imagine it was not really a place where you would want to have a future, I guess. I don't really because it's not it's not a place of importance, at least at that time. And Modesto is not far from me uh, being in San Francisco. And I, I actually really appreciate George Lucas a lot because when I really think about it, if I think of all of the big filmmakers uh, in like, you know, you look at everything from James Cameron, Guillermo del Toro, everyone, just everyone, mm-hmm. uh, all the Marvel directors, I'm sure everyone. But George Lucas is probably like my most local director oh, yeah, for real. because he grew up very close to San Francisco, like Modesto's somewhat close. It's like. Uh, right by San Jose and Stockton and that which is like a hour it's like an hour and a half to two hour drive depending on mm. traffic it could be three hours potentially honestly probably more actually depending on yeah it's probably three hours uh, if there's traffic yeah I, I have to really think about that because I haven't been I, I'm not going to drive to Modesto yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it's he, he really encapsulated the Bay Area mm. and like the Northern California area itself because he uses uh, San Francisco to shoot THX. He uses mm-hmm. not Modesto to shoot uh, American Graffiti, even that's supposed to be Modesto. Uh, looking through it all, apparently uh, in the time it was filmed, uh, this is 10 years after I guess he left, but he's like, it's changed too much in that time. Mm. So he needs to get a different location. He goes to two different areas. One is San Rafael, which is actually a very nice area right across the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, cool. And he filmed there for a limited amount of time before the city council and was having issues. So he moved to Petaluma, which is even farther north. Uh, and that's like closer to wine country. Mm-hmm. But it's got like that. At, I'm sure at that time had that more small town vibe. Yeah. And he filmed up there. The Mel's Drive-In itself was set in San Francisco. And uh, it was like a cool little, you know, actual drive-in. And that's... The point of them they were drive-ins like you would drive your awesome chevrolet and you would go park and uh the person would come through the little box and be like what do you have and then like you you order your drink and i'm just dude they kept talking about or at least when toad was there they keep talking about ordering cherry cokes and i don't think people understand it's not like getting a cherry coke now like they put it they get the coke and they take like an actual cherry syrup and put oh it in there gosh, to flavor hilarious. it. Yeah, I remember and I know that because I've that. had that. Mm-hmm. Same here. Yeah, uh, yeah. I went to. Uh, I'll explain. I'm, there's a lot because I I said it before at the end of THX. The conversation about this film 
will be a complete different conversation than it was about THX. THX is about no emotion and just like the things George Lucas was going for, the fact that it was his first film. This one, I we're talking about his work, but also this one honestly brings up a lot of different ideas because it's like the theme itself, the era mm -hmm. that's going on with it, the time, my own memories of it too, and I'm sure yours as well, because it's such a, there's certain period pieces of Americana, I was going to say Americana, I guess like, yeah, yeah. certain Americana yeah. history pieces that are so, even though we didn't grow up in these times, they're very nostalgic of just like looking back and seeing how cool they were. Um, especially, I'm sure, more cool if you're white. Yeah. But if, <laughs> yeah, yeah, at this point, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's a lot of different awesome aspects about these things. And looking through it all, I don't even know like where to start really because uh, he does the filming in Petaluma. He has the Mel's Drive-In stuff in San Francisco. And I think there's a few other locations in the Bay Area, probably more so in the North Wine Country. I think I saw Sonoma in there as well, which is also... Uh, if it was probably Sonoma Square, that's another big wine country area. And the mm. square there is actually really iconic looking. Like if you went there, it would, you'd probably fall. It's like, it's just so, it feels like it's it's from a certain period of time mm. and it never changed really. And it just looks really, really good. Like uh, it's something you would enjoy if you came over for sure. <sighs> that's awesome. Uh, but you know, the setting and the location is like, it's that whole nostalgic feeling that it's so weird because looking at it today it feels like it was a hundred years ago um it does just the vehicles the type of like activities people would do like the entire the environment completely the setting is just so just not around anymore you know it's it's so incredibly vintage that it feels ancient but it's it really wasn't that long ago which is insane it wasn't you know yeah um that i think that's what threw me for the loop the most is just like really appreciating like the mindset and it it was also like one of those things you know like you know here we are entering our 30s and everything now and it's like life was just so much more simple back then you know what i mean just one of those it things. was yeah and it, it felt and peaceful like, like how social people are yes yes and just like the way they all interacted the relationships like it was i was just something you know even for me growing up just an experience i never really had you know the way the way it's brought upon on TV, you know, that Dick Van Dyke, you know, ancient kind of 70s uh, white picket fence type of living, it seems like, you know. Um, it, and it's such a radical difference from his other films. Like, you know, THX and Star Wars, you could kind of piece things together, um, even to an extent Indiana Jones and THX. But American Graffiti is kind of like very much the thing that pops off on his uh, bibliography, I would say. Yeah, it, it, it feels so different than everything else because you look at THX and, THX and Star Wars and you feel that oppression mm -hmm. from both of those where this one just feels like... It just feels like fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, which, yeah, I'm not saying, of course, Star Wars is fun, but, like, there's a whole, like, we have to... There's so much Japanese inspiration mm -hmm. in it. There's so much other... Which is also things unique. occurring. He's very yeah. inspired. You know, we were saying the last episode by Japanese like filmmaking and cinematography and all this type of stuff, story crafting, and uh, just he pulls a lot from that. And even in THX, we see those influences. He wanted to film it in Japan, and here we are, just like the most American film you could possibly think of. Like I don't know, 
Uh, I mean, as in like good films that I enjoy. I don't know another like super America. Be- Beavis and Butthead do America. Maybe that's the closest uh, I can get. <laughs> like an American film. I would I say, <laughs> if I looked it up, uh, I think it said American Graffiti. Uh, George Lucas was inspired by Seven Samurai uh, to make this film. It's very heavily. I'm sure. <laughs> I was just like, trying to put that together. <laughs> yeah, I looked at your face and you're like, wait, wait just trying to put it together. <laughs> but no, yeah. There was like an error in my head the moment you said that. Like, just a bzzz. Um, it works don't worry no but yeah it's uh there's so much america just it's just america the movie of that specific period mm-hmm. and it's a weird it, it's funny because like looking at us now we were at that weird stage where we were in between everything mm-hmm. so it's right before everything went full digital but also there was still a lot of um analog stuff going yes. on like we just we flipped from floppy disks to everything else we have now yeah exactly and we got to experience floppy disks we saw pagers before there was like an iphone or anything Mm -hmm. or like smartphones uh or cell phones in general for them like the cell phones were like (laughs) you know yeah eventually we got flip phones and it was like yo a flip phone and it has a the birth of camera yes remember when how big there was such a big deal to get a camera and you're getting those fucking eight pixel shots and you're like oh this is amazing (laughs) but like uh that's a similar era in a way because you're looking at and also we grew up in the 90s Mm -hmm. the 90s which such a very very special time of innocence because it's right after the cold war is over there's no more cold war you're not having the red scare Mm -hmm. but then it's right before 9-11 and where everything else goes to shit uh, in real in real life, mm-hmm. like you know, everything changes for the worse, and uh, there's this small like ten years that we have that's just really good. Yeah. And looking at American Graffiti, it's actually the same thing mm-hmm. in a way because you're not getting Vietnam yet, so that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But you're past World War II, and technically the Korean War, I believe. So you have those done Mm -hmm. and it's this small, cool little time of just like, yeah, everyone's cruising. No one's being drafted for any wars yet. I don't believe. Uh, And it's just like something that's just, you're free Mm -hmm. for the most part, I think. And And it was before that major like political shift that was in the sixties and the hippie era, like everything transformed like completely. But the, yeah, like you said, the fifties was like a very unique like moment like a t- like a time period that was just can like just like the 90s very just like that equal wow things are just kind of cool right now you know like on the yeah. surface level you know um, especially because you know you look agree, at all 100%. the right and because all the hippie stuff you're like oh isn't that fun it's like well i mean i guess if you, if you like drugs that much but also uh american pop showed us otherwise so american pop showed us much more other than <laughs> don't do drugs <laughs> um, but oh god uh you know it's like that happens hand in hand with war yeah like they're occurring at the same time it's because it's a positive and a negative mm-hmm. whereas american the, the reason you don't have hippies yet is because there's no war like that yet mm-hmm. um and that you didn't need that kind of balance because it was already a perfect like equilibrium there wasn't nothing you didn't need something on one side and the other it was just right all there in the middle for the most part at that time yeah. and it's just interesting looking at that because at least from the 1900s to present day, I think those are the only two pockets of time mm-hmm. is the 90s and the, those early 60s, probably really late post-Korean War 50s. 
is all you get yeah in the last century of the u.s um which is honestly really kind of insane yeah (laughs) when you really think about it that's the and you know that's why i think the george calling it like a documentary film of that time and just like encapsulating that moment and it's funny because it is literally just a night that we're viewing uh basically sunset till dawn um throughout this and it's just it captures that documentary feel like you're just getting this moment and it's precious and i could see why george wanted to you know go back to his childhood and how he was growing up and really send that story out there um and he was also challenged to do it you know after thx he uh i think one of his friends was just like we'll try to write something else that just would blow everyone away and i guess you know this route is the one that he chose and it it really shows that he can tell a really good story and he understands like human emotion to an extent um i think he only had help writing uh steve's character and his girlfriend's i forget her name but laurie laurie right yeah 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 uh, and he basically set up the characterization for everyone else because uh gosh what's the guy's name with the t i keep on spacing it out and i was just looking at it uh, wait which which toad toad yeah toad was even based off of him like at a certain point in his life and then he becomes uh kurt as he grows older so those were all just based off of him and then everyone else was kind of like influences and people he knew and characters they had yeah. to invent so i think his name is also terry i just right yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I used to people calling him toad yeah yeah, yeah terry <laughs> the toad uh and it, it's such a i don't know you don't see too many films like this in that sense where yeah there's a general there's definitely a lot of themes going out through it um but there's no like direct like i guess abc type of thing um it it does have a film structure for sure but there's no like big plot like big revelation big like thing at the end other than the race and the race has been kind of like with a side character the entire time so there's no like kurt i would say no steve i would say is the main protagonist and kurt i would even say is a side character uh really yeah because i mean uh, and it could just be like top bill type of thing you know what i mean uh from familiarity but i don't know it's i think kurt was the top build in this one yeah okay. or richard dreyfus was probably the top build followed by ron howard and i always look over richard dreyfus too and once i realized that was him right now uh once we were like i was watching it i was like damn i i met that guy and i just like got a jaws poster signed like and that's where i think of richard dreyfus so like thinking of him in this one I don't recognize him. You know, I recognize him from Jaws more than anything else or as like old man Richard Dreyfus. But Ron Howard is like the name that stands out the most to me in that sense. No, for sure. Uh, they definitely do. And it's apparently uh, Ron Howard's last acted role where he wasn't playing himself. Arrested Development, if you know what I'm talking about, uh, was more American Graffiti. Oh, wow. Wasn't it the one sequel. of his first roles too? Or it yeah, he, he didn't really act because yeah. uh, that was a very short thing he did. And then, you know, he moved on to where we see him now uh, doing all his current stuff. Or at least like, you know, he went more into the back behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. uh, doing production instead of acting in the films. And it's just weird also seeing you could hear his voice and you're like, that's the Ron Howard voice. But it's such a younger Ron Howard voice because it's funny. I'm watching this. And in my head, I'm also listening to like him narrating Arrested Development and I'm like matching them up and I'm like, wow, it's such a difference. Because honestly, when you think about it, like that's probably Ron Howard's most known thing at this point is probably Arrested Development. And then you go, well, it's also ironic because, you know, it's like he's in this George Lucas movie 
and then he later directs solo which you know well, we already know how that went but uh yeah it's just interesting that that occurred it's funny um what was i gonna say about ron howard gosh i just had it in my head um I totally just faced it. It was a really fun fact, and I was trying to hold on to it to like say it. Never mind. All right, move on from that. Is all these redheads? These redheads? <laughs> a lot of red- <laughs> he, uh Gosh, I just had it. I totally just based out uh, the Ron Howard fact I had. Um, but you know, it is it is kind of funny. Like the people that were in this film were just like really well known. But this was kind of like a great kickoff start. Like you have Harrison Ford, Francis Coppola, Ron Howard, Dreyfus. Like just the cast is outstanding in that sense. And all of them, I mean, this is what connected uh, Lucas and Harrison um, together so that they could come mm-hmm. back. And he actually, again, for Star Wars, they needed a name to put on the poster. And Ford was the name that they had to put on. Because um, he was the only one that had done something. Like mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill hadn't done anything yet. And even Harrison Ford still hadn't really done anything. It was just like, well, he's been in American Graffiti. He was that guy in the rate. And he was in, honestly, I looked back and, He's in these random one-offs yeah. of like small shows or I think cowboy movies potentially. I haven't, oh, wow. I, I honestly. I haven't like too much uh, into Harrison, his background. Yeah. I, I honestly want to go through because uh, it says he's acted in like, I forget it either said 90 things or 200 things. Mm. I it's, It was one or the other, <laughs> um, uh, which obviously is a big difference between them. But Harrison Ford's actually probably my favorite actor. Um, oh, I, it's, you know, it's, I feel like he plays this like the same role, like in here in and everything. Yeah, it's all like the same. It's like an evolution of this character, in, like a multiverse yeah. almost. Oh, uh, he, he was definitely the face because it's like Indiana Jones was such a big influence mm-hmm. for me, and just like growing up and stuff. So it's like that kind of yeah. That's what made him jump on the top, I think. Uh, and then you see him later on and stuff now, and you're like, oh, he's really tired. <laughs> Well, dude, you know, you look at like how he is now, and then you watch this movie. I'm like, it's the same grumpy old guy. Like, it's it's a, yeah. It was just him evolved. Um, that's what I was gonna say. Uh, Luke Skywalker and Steve, dude, Harrison Ford sounds just like him. I mean, not Harrison Ford. Uh, Mark Hamill sounds just like Steve. Like, it's it's. Are you seeing a you seeing a pattern there? Yes, and again, it's the same storyline with the uh, protagonist. Uh, well, I guess then he is the protagonist, Kurt. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah. totally right because he's the one that wants to escape and get off of the rock. You know, he's trying to get off of Tatooine and he's undecided. He's conflicted whether or not to do it. And it takes something to kind of force him to go and start this adventure. Just like Luke, it took something for him to start the adventure. And just and like Thex. And just like Thex. It took something. And just like Sen. No, I'm just kidding. Not like Sen. No, I just want to be here. <laughs> I, I really like you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You thought I was gone. Yes. <laughs> Every George yeah. Lucas episode we do. Sin has to make an appearance, but you you do see that you see the pattern in each film. There is that, yeah, it's that character, the character that has to go. Mm-hmm. He has to leave, yeah, every time. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny? It, it, there was one more, uh, Anakin Skywalker, too, as well. How technically with uh, Phantom Menace? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, one, yeah. one last one. I had to think about that for a second. I was like, oh yeah, he did that again. Yeah, the pod racing thing is what got him off the rock again. It just it's that turn of events. And George is. Oh my god, pod racing was just American. Oh my god, I just I just thought of that. <gasps> Holy crap, pod racing is just episode 60s one is American, American graffiti. graffiti in space. <laughs> oh my god and. Darth Maul is uh, Bob Falfa. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's the bolt. <laughs> oh, oh my, my god. god! That's yes, hilarious. I mean, 
almost to the team. I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Oh, man, that's that's surprising. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those it's things. Actually he cool. was a big car fanatic, and he's a you know a really big mechanic, apparently. And I was shocked at that. I wasn't... I, you know, I knew about his uh, anthropology background that he was really interested in, but I didn't know he also was interested in uh, in cars and racing and stuff like that. So pretty cool thing. I'm surprised he didn't do more in that uh, in his films and whatnot. But uh, George is just he he knows what he he knew what he was doing. I don't know. Maybe it was too many hands in the pot when it came to di- different things. And that's what messed it up. And that's why he did it single handedly in the prequels. Uh, and it just it was just experimenting and figuring things out, you know. But uh, is the range of adventure that he's brought us, you know. It honestly, all these films are excellent. You know, THX, American Graffiti, yeah. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, like everything he's worked on. Like you, they have their flaws for sure, but like they're still the most some of the best films ever made because he went out there yeah. and just. I don't know, it's just that imagination, that vision. He just has it to the T. They they really are in there when you think of America when, when you think of film mm-hmm. and film history, they're just probably at the top. And it's funny too, looking at everything now, looking back and kind of looking through his past filmography or his very short uh direction or directing filmography with six films, you kind of in a way have two trilogies his origin trilogy which is thx 1138 american graffiti and star wars and it's fun just calling it star wars yeah. not a new hope it's it was just called star wars mm-hmm. and then looking at like yeah then the prequel trilogy but like that's such an interesting it's always fun to see a trilogy that's not related movies they're just connected from something completely different uh that isn't like a story or the same type of series it's just like hey these films actually are like together it's like uh the cornetto trilogy where it's like Shaun of the dead hot fuzz yep. and at world's end uh it's like the same thing here with those three films and it's actually kind of cool looking at it that way uh where you're like oh the star star wars is the final one it wasn't the it's not the beginning of this new saga that like takes over kind of the world practically uh instead it's like yeah it's like his last it's his exit of directing for a while for a long time until he comes back and then leaves again yeah and it's i'm surprised he hasn't come back for anything else you know like he did the story on indiana jones he's just executive produced everything until strange magic in 2015 which i'm looking at this and apparently he worked oh that's that uh weird fairy tale thing i never watched it it was animated Mm -hmm. it's like because i besides i've said it before besides star wars and indiana jones i had never thx never watched american graffiti never watched i still haven't watched yeah train strange magic or red tales i still haven't watched any of those um and i still have to twice upon a time that was an executive oh it's a produced one never mind yeah but yeah, he is such, and he has very strange involvements. And yeah, was uh, Strange Magic the last one he did? Was that the no, last he, thing he, he was? Oh well, yeah, technically yes, twenty fifteen. But now he's like, there's that last credit for the last Indiana Jones film, which will we'll see if that even actually. Oh, happens. the new one? Yeah, <laughs> it should be happening though now at this point, right? Uh, have you seen the? Oh, we should talk about it here. They, they've been casting. Yeah, the casting a lot. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen was one of the newest mm-hmm. ones. Um, there's some interesting. They added someone else. So I'm assuming it's finally gonna fall through with. 
But yes. I mean, casting casting's one thing. Production starting is a different. So we'll we'll see if they, they should be starting production soon. Usually they'll get casting done and then have production start pretty much soon after. Like and it's supposed to come out fall? next year. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah, it's just come out twenty twenty two because it's twenty twenty one, right? It is twenty twenty one. Yeah, shit. How is it already that far? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Um, yeah. So I guess back to yeah, American Graffiti itself. But um, it was interesting seeing everything going on there. I guess one thing I want to talk about is that layering for sure of storytelling. Oh yeah, yeah. very well yeah. executed. Definitely. And because you're getting really awesome switches, it's it doesn't feel like forced or anything. Like each time it goes from character to character, it just you're you're kind of waiting and you feel it too. Mm-hmm. Like you see when dialogue finishes for usually two characters together, because it's usually two characters together, except for the case of Kurt, yeah, with the Pharaohs. But uh, <laughs> that's, I love that. Like everyone else, it's usually a guy and a girl for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once their dialogue finishes, you can kind of see, oh, we're about to transition to the next group mm-hmm. and see what's going on with them. How are they doing? And they start. It's funny because I guess it's not funny necessarily, but it's interesting watching how it starts off with them at the diner and then they all separate for the most. They start separating piece by piece mm-hmm. and then they all scatter and then they sort of reconvene the diner and then they scatter again. Or they 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 scatter completely. Yeah, no, they come single singly back to the mm-hmm. diner for a little bit in each at different times, and then they all leave, and they all meet up back again at the diner at the end, somewhat yeah. like more or less until like the drag race itself, and after that, like yeah, you get the film ending, but um, the diner is kind of like their home base. That is everything is happening there, and it was really cool seeing a lot of the stuff happening back then because you have cruising mm-hmm. and cruising itself it's just so interesting to watch that and to see like how the the fascination around these cars because you, you look at the times like you still have wagons in the early 1900s yeah like and then someone comes by and you're like what the hell is that thing oh it's my buggy it's <laughs> just driving around this here thing and you're just like why why you sound british and married what okay whatever and uh you know they have these weird little vehicles that are driving around and they're hilarious looking and they're still with like there's other people still with horses and stuff and then the roaring 20s come and they're called the roaring 20s for a reason and that's because like automobiles are on the rise yeah. and then you know the 30s come and then they're like no one can afford a car and then, and then the 40s come and you're like everyone needs steel for the war effort mm-hmm. and everyone needs the metal for the war effort so you're you sort of see stuff but for the most part when you think of 40s vehicles you're like yeah tanks and jeeps yeah. and the 50s and 60s are like that that time yeah where cars are like the the, the average person can have a car and you see what they do with it and you're just like that's actually kind of really cool. Yes. Because yes. They, they're just driving and the stoplights are like transitions. Mm-hmm. They You stop at the light and someone will get out of a car, jump into your car. It doesn't remember fucking we're growing up as a kid. Don't yes. get into someone, some strangers. Yeah. Don't just don't do it. And everyone's just like, hey, it's just going, going through. Yeah. And you're just like, you just got into that. You don't do you even know who that is. 
Right. Do you know whose car you just got right? into? Exactly. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like such a... Hey, you know this person? Yeah, I sort of know of them. Okay, cool. Let me hop in and <laughs> like what? The girl just jumps into the guy's car, and that's what tripped me out, and that's what really showed like the age and the date of like this film and the trust and the way people act. Um, for like whatever, uh, they don't even show tell, say how old she was, but I know that girl was twelve when she was uh, filming it. Um, was she? Yeah, she was super young. Yeah. Damn, she, she was, was tall. Yeah, yeah. She, or she was. Was she 12 when she got the part or 15? One of the two. But I know she was, like, super young um, when all this started. Yeah. Uh, I, I was watching one of the interviews with her, and she was just saying, like, how she was the daughter of uh, one of the mamas The, the actress is Mackenzie Phillips. Mackenzie Phillips. Isn't she, like, the Yeah, daughter? she played the character of Carol, and she got into the car with John, played by Paula Matt. Isn't her dad, like, um, one of the mamas and papas? Like, the band? Is she the one I'm thinking of? Uh... Sh- I am not too sure. But anyway, it, it could be. But, like, it's one of those things. It's, like, just, like, sending, like, oh, her sister will jump in. And then just a random girl, like, that they have no idea who it is just gets in another vehicle and they just take off without her. And they leave her with this, like, random guy that was hitting on her. And what? <laughs> it's like, what? Dude, it, it was so ra- – yeah, they. it's basically – Think of a bunch of probably high school girls mm-hmm. or very late high school girls and little sister, middle school sister probably is like, hey, I want to come with you guys. And they're like, N- the, the parents are like, take her with you. Just make sure, you know, she comes back home mm-hmm. and stuff. And they go, okay. But, you know, older siblings want to get rid of the younger ones and by any means necessary. Yeah. So <laughs> she's like, yeah, go hang out with this guy who's probably like 18 or something like well, that. He's been out of like school for what, like five years or something. Like he's was he? Yeah, yeah. He's he's graduated. So he's like twenty. He's probably like twenty two yeah. then, or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and damn, that yeah. He she, girl came in, and there's probably like a. I I honestly want to say it was probably like. Eight to nine years. I don't want to say ten. I don't think it was like yeah. ten years, but I think it was like eight years or something. I would say that. And you know. You could tell at least by people because she jumps in the car and he's just like, no. Yeah, yeah. It's, what? <laughs> no. Yeah. He was even tripped out about it just because of her age. And it's. Yeah. And, and the, the the things she says, she's just like, I'm going to tell them you raped me. And you're just like, what the fuck? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, she's like, you have to do what I say. And he's just like, I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I, why, why is this happening to me? <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Like all that. All of it works too, you know, like especially if you're trying to show like a, a period piece. Um, I think that's like one of the best parts because it was filmed what this is the 50s, you're filming it in 70 something, so it's been over a decade. And I'm sh- even then, I'm sure that was kind of an okay thing. Um, in the 70s and whatnot, like growing up in high school, like everyone was just partying and hanging out, and into the 60s, like that was just free love type of thing. So it's such Ooh. an abstract thing looking at it now. <laughs> But even, I guess, when this film was made, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. It seemed like a very valid plot point. And now it's more of, like, a plot point that makes you realize, like, the date and the age of the film. Like, you feel like, oh, they did this to really highlight how loose things were back then. Um, I feel like that's probably one of the craziest. Oh, that and the scholarship thing. Here's 2,000 books, man, and just gives it to him, like, right in front of, I don't know, that was crazy, too. Just Yeah. Also, the uh, because it just crack up when... Uh, Carol, the the girl, she's just like, are we? Because he gives her the uh, like, what is it, the racing mm-hmm. ring or something? He had some special thing, and it 
means something to him, mm-hmm. but giving it to her, it probably meant the world because she feels so... She seems like the, the way she talks about everything, she hates everything. Like, it sounds like, you know, maybe her friends make fun of her, but, like, her parents kind of don't care. Her sister thinks she's lame mm-hmm. to the fact she, like, threw her out. Uh, but hanging out with him was the coolest night of her younger life, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny. But... Uh, She's like, oh, we we going? Are you giving me this? Like we're going steady, and I crack yes. up because I'm like, oh right, people said going steady. <laughs> I know that was and another trip. The the language in these mo- in this movie, mm-hmm. and there was um, it was everything. Like people are saying going steady. They're saying like, uh, random things. I feel like I've heard kind of resurface mm-hmm. sometimes. Okay, uh, but there was one word that. I loved so much. I loved hearing it, and I just, I loved it. Bitchin'. Oh, yeah. Everyone's saying bitchin'. Everybody, and I'm dude. like, dude, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And it reminds me, um, because there's apparently the sauce. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called bitchin' sauce. Oh, dude, yes, I love bitchin' sauce. It's so uh, bitchin' yeah, sauce. Yeah, bitchin <laughs> and it shows a little boy on it, and he says, mmm, bitchin'. <laughs> Dude, yes that's exactly yeah that that's the yeah. american graffiti yes yeah i didn't yeah it, like can, when i heard them all sing that in the movie it made me flash back to sing that sauce because i only saw that sauce once and it was in san diego when we went, i went to comic-con and i'm just like i remember seeing that little kid's face on it and i'm just like yo little billy knows what's up though and now i'm like yo little billy knew what was up like it Dude, was bitching the You whole gotta get time. it. It's honestly delicious. Like I, it's in my. I, right I want now. more of it. It was so, so freaking. It's good on everything. Yeah, it's Every so, single thing you can think of. Yeah, it's great. This uh, episode is brought to you by <laughs> bitching. <laughs> sauce. Only be good because that sponsorship. <laughs> I want bitching sauce and I want Zoa energy. That's yes. the sponsorships yeah. I want. <laughs> That's the upset stomach I want at the end of every recording. Oh my god, it sounds fantastic. Oh. But, uh, oh, were we gonna say? I, I was gonna go to Kurt, but no. By all means, continue. I was just gonna say, like, besides the language when they're at their school even though it's like the summertime there there's like a dance yeah the dances there are so just white yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's one word that's, that wasn't the word i was gonna go for but yeah that's one of them <sighs> and i'm pretty sure like it was the era itself like i need to go back and see like you know la zoot suit mm-hmm. mexicans what they would do and stuff that kind of dancing but uh you know you look at dancing now and then you look at dancing then dancing then i don't know it just seems like there was actual moves you're like oh there's this there's that you could do this type and they all have names and it's insane oh yeah and then now it's like yo you're gonna grind or what it's just like... exactly that's what honestly that's the one thing i do appreciate about it. it is very white which is you know a good joke but like it's um it's also one of those things that like you feel like that was like a genuine like dance like that's what it meant and now it's just kind of like there was full identity yes exactly and then you could tell how into it they were like how intense it kind of got and it it just didn't seem so hoey you know what i mean like basically (laughs) like (laughs) and now when you see stuff you're just like all right i mean that i wouldn't do that in public but that's cool (laughs) you know but it just shows like that was a big part of like their culture that like everyone took a part of you know like it didn't matter what click or what you were into like you went to that and you participated in stuff like that and it's just it's so raunchy now it's crazy how bad that turned yeah 
and yeah so cars language dancing just all these things from the era the the outfits oh the, the outfits i love the cigarette pack folded over the sleeve and dude everything. that was i looked at that and i'm like i'm not gonna i don't smoke but that that's actually pretty yes, cool. right like, that's pretty dope yeah something lame like trading cards or something i don't know <laughs> oh yeah I'd, yeah i'd love it instead it's like dude are those cigarettes like no this is my this is my deck of magic, magic cards. Yeah. He pulls them out of his sleeves <laughs> i don't know but, the, oh, but you know the cars too dude they are i don't know cars magnificent nowadays, yeah they just doesn't match up and it never has you know that vintage style was just it's gorgeous it looks like a piece of art like it you know, they all look like batmobiles to a certain extent like it is the coolest thing ever and now cars are just like yeah yeah, they all had kind of a I, I love my Honda Civic. I just, you know, I just just like that Honda it's Civic. It's fine. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. But they all had like a personality to it, you know? And I think that was the cool part. And that's what they really highlighted on. You know, nobody had the same car. Everyone stood out. It was kind of treasured. It was like your baby. It's like what you took care of. And it's what you focused on, you know? It was such a cool thing to, to have included. Um, I mean, every character's car kind of represented them as well. You know, they, it really uh, highlighted their personality. It highlighted uh, just everything that they were kind of about. Um, you look at Harrison Ford's car, dude. That was like the coolest thing <laughs> until it blew up. Oh, the the black yes. one, right? Yeah, and yeah. You know, we don't even focus on. I don't know. I, you might know. I, I'm not like a car buff at all, but like brands and all that type of stuff. It didn't really focus on that. It just kind of showed the no. vehicle enough to like you know have it represent that person and how involved that person was with the vehicle and how their cars defined them uh what's his face uh god the guy with the t terry he didn't get confidence until you know steve handed him the car yeah that's yeah gave him everything even then he was really bad with it but it was like i'm gonna protect this car with my life immediately backs into another car (laughs) that was such hilarious i did like though that uh the cars apparently didn't seem damaged uh right and I'm like, oh, maybe they're actually made of sterner stuff yeah. until, I mean, until they crash from a drag race and you die. But like, otherwise, yeah, you know, up, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, otherwise, like they seem like they could take take a hit. And I feel like the only one in our podcasting network that we currently got is Danny. Uh, that would know much about that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. I think he's the only one that's like big on the cars. But when I guess looking at it, if I was in that era... I probably know 20 times more about cars. One, because I feel like that was something you'd probably even learn in school. Uh, but two, they look interesting, so you'd want to learn. Yeah. Whereas you look now, and I'm like, they're like, oh, you care about cars? I'm like, dude, I have a Honda Civic. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I'm not interested. Like, why would I? I don't, yeah, why would I don't I be caring about that. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, does, it just looks like a car. Like, there's yeah. nothing. It doesn't look cool. Yeah. It doesn't matter. There's nothing special about it. Yeah. And they just felt so unique, you know? They felt. I don't know. They defined you so much, and kind of like our comic book collection defines us now. You know what I mean? It's kind of the same thing. You said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. And I mean, Kurt as the, like the main character. I just I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was a really cool guy. And once I knew it was based off of like George himself, that's what really sold me on him. Um, and Steve is just kind of the guy that's like, okay, well, I'm going into New Horizons and I'm changing myself and. I'm going to erase my past, but keep what I can. And, you know, it's home is home. And then my life everywhere else is separate, you know, but he still wanted to keep that home life. And Kurt was just kind of the conflicted uh, 
that's the whole that's the cool thing part his conflict was deciding if he could go to college or not and just like what yeah. it meant and all of his scenes were giving a reason to go or not to go and always pushing him to like kind of reveal more about himself about what he wanted about the decision he was going to make and the people who stayed and the people who left and even the people who left and came back like his teacher uh which was a creepy scene <laughs> like that was yeah that was that was was he was he a teacher or was he like an assistant or something i thought he was, he was a teacher he seemed old enough to be a teacher yeah that was either way it was just like yeah that that part was like sir i'd like to introduce you to jail yeah right yeah jesus christ but it was uh it was really cool seeing his transformation and you know steve's transformation was uh just kind of just almost seeing him lose everything and did he i guess not yeah. decide to go to college then since he didn't fly off with kurt he said i would wait a year and it's supposed to be like he becomes what, what did it say he became he became like a firm an insur- guy an insurance agent yeah an insurance agent which i i don't know at that time you needed to go to school for or not i feel like but he didn't go then you know what i mean i feel like that's just he, like at least he job. probably went to jc mm, he went yeah. to junior college and maybe he went to school after him it's i don't i think he stayed right because he's like yeah i'll go next year and it's like when you say yeah, i'll go next year you're not going you're you're done yeah. you're not you're you're stuck bro or maybe he went with and, like, his the girlfriend because she was still in was she still in high school? Did she still have a little bit of time there? They never really specified. Right? Yeah, I was looking for that. I th- I think she had one more year. Yeah, I think she's supposed to be like a year younger. And you know, you look at it because the whole thing is the second movie takes place sixty four through sixty seven, mm-hmm. and this movie takes place sixty two. It's two years later, and it shows like you know, uh, you see at the end of the movie, it's like oh, uh, John dies. Yeah. in sixty four. And that's like the first year the second movie takes place. And you see that the character is there. And it's like soon after, it's like two years later, uh, Toad's going to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're apparently going to have kids. They're already pregnant or something. So, oh, like, wow. right out of. So, she's been out of high school for maybe a year and he's still um, maybe at junior college or something, or he stopped college and he's just already in that. So, mm-hmm. things happen fast, uh, they never really leave. Uh, I guess that was the only reason I'm connecting that is just to give that type of like soon after that's how fast mm, things change. Yeah, exactly. But also they're still there for the most part until, you know, drafts and other things. But uh, yeah, it's it's weird to see that kind of quick shift where the only one because everything changes for them drastically. And it's I think it's supposed to be if you look at the the end of American Graffiti. You know, it says like, yeah, John dies at 64. Uh, Steve becomes like insurance guy. Toad goes and disappears in Vietnam. And it's like, oh, yeah, he tried to actually run away. That's why he tried to just skip it to Europe and fake his death. Uh, right. And for Kurt, you know, doesn't it say he becomes a, a Canadian? He moves to Canada yeah. and becomes a writer. Yeah. And when you think about it, uh, if I saw it correctly, I think it's supposed to be he tears up his draft card. Oh, in the wow. second movie i don't know if it's the same like i said i think it's a different actor and he's just in there shortly but i think the whole thing is he goes to canada because he tears up at the draft card he doesn't want to get drafted so he leaves the country and goes to canada and that's why he's up there that's kind of cool um, yeah huh. and you know it's funny looking at like what's going on with all the characters like 
I don't know. It's uh, for me the most interesting stories going on were probably John and Terry, mm-hmm. uh, because like they seem like they're the most fun. Uh, really, for uh, Ron Howard, like he's just kind of screwing up the whole time and trying to figure out, like basically going from "I'm leaving, I can't wait to leave" to "I'm never going to leave." Yeah. And Kurt going from "I'm never going to leave" to "I'm out." Mm-hmm. And Kurt's story is kind of the most. Besides the Pharaoh stuff, like nothing really happens <laughs> yeah. with him. He's just kind of searching for a woman he never sees. Mm-hmm. Which is a and, cool little like thing he's chasing throughout the whole film. I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. And he still never finds her. Like she's just on that phone mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing else occurs from it. And he just kind of, when he leaves though, like he, he, there's nothing else really happening with him. There is no arc or anything. It, it's just him going. I don't know to everyone that asks him what's going on. Mm-hmm. I like, oh, are you excited to go? And he's like, I don't know if I'm actually going to go. And everyone convincing him to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, like, actual events are happening with the other characters yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I always found that ironic, where it's like, why is the main character kind of the most uneventful? And it's like the supporting characters, a lot more is going on with them. Yeah. You know, that's, and that's what I mean. Like, it's, uh, one of those films it's hard to for me it was hard to focus on who was like the main person you know because to a certain extent everyone had their own major storyline going on uh it's in a film conventional way like everyone i feel i don't know if you look at screen time amount but it felt a little balanced uh even terry got plenty of screen time when he should have been like the d plot line you know and um all the girls had their own stories like everything went on with it and it was just kind of one of those bizarre things it's just like it was hard to tell who's getting the most like screen time out of everybody yeah. you know and it's you don't ever find that especially in a film nowadays and again that documentary style or mindset maybe not style i wouldn't say style but mindset for this film uh that's a perfect way to execute that you know because uh, again like when you watch stuff like like that you really have a good balance between opinions and whose voice you're seeing the story being told and they all kind of end in the same way so this was a a really interesting way to look at what you can do with the film and still make it commercial um yeah never i mean star wars again like you know stuff like that thx you know who the main characters are in each film and who we're focusing on and you know jar jar gets less screen time than everyone you know like jar jar would be equal if he was equal as everyone else you'd be like what the hell like what is this this is bizarre and thank god we don't get that but it's one of those things you'll never see that in other films i can't think of another movie that you get a balanced amount per character with a large cast yeah besides like yeah movie wise like you know shows are different but for a film itself this is yeah very unique and there might be i feel like there's like an anthology movie or something but that's like completely different still yeah even then Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. because it'd be different stories um even at you know somewhat different links at that point you know anthology films so it was it was a really you could tell this was an out of college film where he's still trying to find a voice, an idea, a style, a mindset, like, and you could tell his themes are established. He knows what he wants to talk about. He's just trying to find the right way to tell that story and the funding and just the possibilities of films getting made. Because American Graffiti, like I said before, wasn't really on the top of the list for people to jump on. Um, he had a lot of help and a lot of like failures, uh, failed, failed attempts of getting it made before it turned into production. And it's um 
it's it's a good film, honestly. I I honestly like enjoyed it. I would definitely want to rewatch it to kind of absorb it a bit more. And now that you've mentioned the sequel, I'm pretty interested to see how they play that out as well. I kind of it's like I want to see it, but I also don't. Yeah, you don't want it to get a kill. Like just the idea again, the idea of it. <laughs> it sounds yeah. super awesome. Because it it seems like they take a lot of the characters and they go yeah everyone's still here but also they have different roles now and it just looks a lot different mm-hmm. too um to the point where like some of the pharaohs are working with john on like the racing stuff and then some others go to vietnam and then like i don't really know what's going on with like Lori and uh steve because apparently like there's issues with them and yeah. debbie has her own adventure uh <laughs> to- toad's girlfriend that he gets goes on her own thing and has her own story plot becoming like a flower child i think mm-hmm. oh so everything changes and you see the you I see the see exit that. of that classic americana look just like you see the just change of like the beatles okay you know they're the clean cut guys and then all of a sudden they go to like you know scroungy hair and stuff and they just kind of look like they all look different but like you know they kind of look slightly messy and stuff uh, I think you see that transformation too with everything because you're seeing that start of that era begin. I think with, what throws like me Vietnam off the most is like if it was like a five year gap, that'd make more sense to me than like a two year gap. Yeah, because it's supposed to be, it's like, I don't even know how it works. If it's like it ends with the 64 part with like John. Uh-huh. Otherwise, like each one has like, I don't know if it goes from like character to character or if it's year to year with the characters mm-hmm. to characters because it's supposed to be each one and they're all different years of stuff. Yeah. So it's it's really hard to say what happens exactly with that kind of thing. Huh. But Crazy. It's yeah. just a crazy like, uh, it's just one of those films that it's it's definitely, I guess because it's George Lucas, we don't expect this from him but it did work and it it does it is unique it is worth a watch it does capture the american lifestyle in that time it captures his influence like how he was brought up uh kind of a time i wish we could all go back to in a big way um and just in terms of maybe not necessarily everything there but just maybe the terms of i would say uh, out of everything maybe the social aspect yeah the social aspect uh basically yeah that's the main idea behind it just the way things were like in a social aspect uh just the friendships the the way they hung out the way they were grouped together uh just like their outings on the weekend and stuff like that but also it's fresh out of high school it's a, it's one of those things and then life hits them after that which is really devastating so yeah it's crazy just such a good period piece you know um we go from the far future or a film that was from the future uh not based in the future a film that was from the future and then we have uh this retro piece and then we get star wars and it's just yep. like damn damn george wow george yes <laughs> it's, uh, damn yeah it's good stuff like did something <sighs> and that uh mel's driving i just want to say like as someone that has eaten at those places and you know some of them are a little bit overpriced online food's okay depending on which one you go to i guess mm. i've only been to a few a couple different ones but uh the one that was they filmed in was in san francisco and that one's since been torn down because none of them are actual drive-throughs mm-hmm. they're not like drive-ins or anything mm-hmm. uh that doesn't exist like, unless you go to like sonic Oh, wow. uh, I think Sonics is like the closest thing to it now. Uh, I don't know if you guys have Sonics. Yeah, or we not. have Sonics. We actually have okay. uh, 
we had like a diner type of stuff. We had like two or three of them that were drive throughs around here. Uh, and then we even had drive-in theaters. We actually still have one um, that I think came back, but then I think COVID closed it. But I know there's still a drive-in porn theater here. The, wait, what? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I was, uh, was I going to say before that totally, uh, there's like one drive-in theater, I think, somewhere near San Jose itself, actually closer, I would say, to Modesta than here. I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, I've never been to one myself, though, but uh that idea has always been really cool to me uh-huh. uh that classic american feel and the diner feel i love, oh, I love it diners to death uh-huh. because yeah they we in san francisco we have like johnny rockets and we have which came in like i think in the 80s because it was taking the theme of that and just you know oh yeah they're like playing off the theme and then the mel's drive-ins which johnny rockets i think is international and it's like this big thing yeah. And, you know, a lot of them are gone, at least in my area. So it's not really an easy place to find Oh wow! Uh, for me personally. But uh, I used to go there all the time as a kid. But uh, Mel's Drive-In, uh, it's funny because, like, you go there and the prices only went up. And uh, they still have, like, that classic feel a little bit there. They got the jukeboxes. And I think there's, like, eight or nine locations. In, and they're all in California. It's, like, half or in Northern California, which are all pretty much in San Francisco for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then the other half are scattered in Southern California oh. uh, throughout certain parts of L.A. or like the surrounding cities of L.A. and stuff. But it's still like that classic thing. But it's just a diner you walk into. Yeah. That whole drive-in aspect is gone. And it's so and hard I will for say, the amount of property you need to have like that drive-in aspect. Oh, too, yeah. You know? I can't, it, it doesn't – it won't necessarily work now, uh, which is why like the only ones that could do it probably is Sonics because that's what they're going off of at the same time. And I will say, like, it's like I said, there was a, when I was in school in uh, Savannah, Georgia, uh, there was a lot of different, um, you know, like dining halls and stuff. You have like a little meal plan or whatever. Mm-hmm. So with the school, so you like get meals or you pay for certain amounts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, uh, there was a, they actually had a diner. Oh, it's called cool. Bobby's Diner. And one of my friends and I would go there. I mean, her, we would go and get food and stuff. And they had let's like i said they had a i'd get the cherry coke because it's straight up you get the coke and they just put this you know squirt in it yeah the syrup yeah and i'd be like it it tasted 20 times better yeah right than the bottled stuff i was like type of stuff yeah it was insane i couldn't i couldn't believe that it like it just blew my mind Mm -hmm. i was like i can't fathom this it's so amazing but i love those feelings and it does like that's the whole thing of it just makes me want to hang out at diners more oh yeah dude watching that film that was probably the main thing i got from it because i'm like there i would want to get like a cool classic chevrolet and stuff the only issue is then it's like i'm also a very you know i'm like a born and raised san francisco guest i'm also like but the environment is so much gas yeah that's true yeah yeah. i'm like can't i can't do i'm like it's one of those things where i'm like i'd want tesla to make like the jurassic park jeep i'm like yo if you guys can make like an electric chevrolet chevrolet like that'd be dope that would be it's like make an awesome chevy like do that yeah make it electric yeah make it happen i'll get it making it look so futuristic let's go back a little bit yeah yeah get 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 me away from those rectangles bro (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, and then the diners we have here are just, we've always gone to them. They're always a good feel. Like, uh, there's a place called AJ's, which is the same thing, jukebox, all that type of stuff, like milkshakes and, like, awesome burgers. And then you have, like, the diner diners, like Village Inn. And that, that's just, like, the most popular one that comes to mind. There's better ones. But uh, it's it's always just, like, a cozy atmosphere. It's something where you just, you're happy no matter what, you know? Um, 
it's funny you, you're like losing johnny rockets and we're like getting more of them in here like in El Paso. we i think our johnny rockets turn into a super duper burger which actually was for the better it's like a fast food place but it's the if you came here it would change it would change, well actually wait no dude i think they might have a veggie version but uh it uh it's it beat out it beat out all other fast food places. Oh wow, that's it, it's, cool. It's amazing. Yeah, like as someone that loves In and Out, and it's my favorite, yeah. I can say it's better than In and Out. Yeah, nice. Uh, oh yeah. And Shake Shack and Whataburger, it's better than uh, all of them. Whataburger. Uh, you're cute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will say one last little thing. It is sad. Uh, the best diner in San Francisco is called It's Tops. It was the oldest diner, mom and pop one. It closed during the during covid i know that's so that what, one's i'm trying gone. to think of and like, like what's that... still open you know what i mean that's the devastating yeah. part i keep on to name stuff but i'm like i don't even know if they're in business at this point like because they've been closed for so long so yeah <sighs> it's like cool if you if you got a johnny rockets or if you're in california you got a mills driving like enjoy those but if you find because those are as cool as those are like the whole point of the diner is like that classic mom and pop local owned place and if you got one in their area mm-hmm. like just if you haven't been to it yeah, oh, yeah. give it a try and check it out Go watch American Graffiti, then go to a diner <laughs> yeah. and go buy a go buy a classic chef. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I think I think that's all we got, really. Yeah. I think uh, I think we're good. And like I said, I, I hope you enjoyed this more rather strange, more cultural conversation because it's like I said, THX. We knew we were going to talk about the film itself and just all the aspects of it mm-hmm. and how it was George's first film. But this one, just the exciting idea of that era yes. was probably the main thing we just wanted to cover. Just and... grasping what it was like and just like putting ourselves into it. You know, I think that's our whole amazement by it. You know, that's something that we, I, I just wish I could have like witnessed it at some point, you know, like that was a really cool thing going on. And it just, it just felt fun and nostalgic, yeah. you know, in a way that you just want to kind of not like get more of it but you just want to like be in that environment for a bit yeah definitely for sure for sure um next month for june we are returning to james bond but a completely different era of james bond because we were you know we've done sean connery and george lazenby Mm -hmm. uh we are going to roger moore and timothy dalton we're doing two roger moore films and one timothy dalton film because uh june is actually three uh, we, we were able to do three weeks in June because it's that it's like five weeks, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we'll see. We're going to do our best. Uh, we wanted to get them on for February. We weren't able to do it, but uh, no promises. But we're going to try to get uh, the other Brandon on here because he's also a big James Bond yes. guy. But we're going to see if we can get him on for those three episodes. Uh, no promises, but we'll see what we can do because uh, there's uh, some extra scheduling we'll have to figure out in order for that to work. But We'll see how that goes. Uh, otherwise, Brandon, where can people find you? You can check out Apollo City Comics on all podcast platforms. Uh, we have a new YouTube channel that you can subscribe, and we have weekly videos going up. Uh, weekly episodes always getting uploaded every Thursday. And uh, check out our Instagram is the best place to find us, but Facebook and Twitter as well. Nice. All right. And you could find me on twitter at kogo Comzilla. and of course you are already here listening so that means you were checking out sutra side talk the channel i uh, hope you can check out our weekly show though as well that is sutra side talk where uh, my co-host james and i will talk about uh, games movie tv show news as well as what we've been watching and playing we also uh got the cut of steel which i uh, keep saying it but <laughs> we've had to delay it for like a month now uh we will have it soon i promise 
uh we're gonna have episode seven out soon with aquaman Mm -hmm. and from then on uh you know in june we'll have shazam and birds of prey probably and we'll have caught up besides the new uh you know 1984 film which we'll get to someday one day but we're not gonna pay for that uh we, we got that coming. Uh, we also got Up To It, Down To It, where myself and some friends uh, from school talk about various random topics. And we recently returned with an episode on the state of film that you should really check out. And we've got another episode actually coming sooner rather than later. Uh, usually there's a big gap when we're trying to close that up a bit. But uh, yeah, check all those out. And of course, follow Sutra Side Talk on Twitter and Instagram at Sutra Side Talk. And we will catch you guys in two weeks with... Uh, I already forgot what the movie was. Live and Let Die? Uh, is that the one we're doing? Is it Live and Let Die? Yeah, it's a Live and Let Die. And then I think we got The Man with the Golden Gun. And then uh, The Living Daylights, I believe, ah. is the Timothy Dalton one. So we got those three Bond films coming. But we'll see you guys in June with Mr. Bond. Yes. So excited. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. yeah thanks for being here. So long.